The COVID-19 pandemic is by no means over, yet scientists are already warning of the next one. A Netherlands-based nonprofit, Access to Medicine Foundation, has identified the Nipah virus as the world's next big pandemic risk. Nipah virus has no treatment or vaccine, and it has a death rate of up to 75%. Taiwan's health authority assured reporters on Monday that it's monitoring the development of this emerging infectious disease. The Nipah virus is closely monitored by all countries in the World Health Organization. We are also constantly monitoring epidemic developments across the globe. Just like with COVID-19, even though the outbreak happened in another country, we're always surveying the landscape. We run risk assessments. Whenever a situation arises, we respond immediately. The Central Epidemic Command Center said it's monitoring the virus and it stressed that epidemics are hard to predict. The Nipah virus is carried by fruit bats, which can pass it on to pigs and onward to humans. The virus can incubate for long periods of time of up to 45 days, which means there's ample opportunity for a host to transmit it to others. Drought is continuing to bite in areas south of Taoyuan, but for Xinzhou City and County, a newly completed pipeline promises to bring some relief. This pipe connects Taoyuan's water supply to Xinzhou, which is home to a water-hungry science park. President Tsai Ing-wen, Premier Susan Chang and the heads of Taoyuan, Xinzhou City and Xinzhou County attended the completion ceremony on Monday. Giving a big thumbs up, President Tsai, Premier Su and other officials shared a stage at the launch of a new pipeline linking Taoyuan and Xinzhou. The pipeline lets Xinzhou tap into Taoyuan's water supply in emergencies. Although there were dissenting views on the project when we proposed it, today water is flowing in the pipeline. As result after result shows, forward-looking infrastructure can help resolve long-standing problems in Taiwan. At last, these efforts are being seen. I would hereby like to thank Premier Su Zhentang and the administrative teams led by him for their hard work over these past two years. Back then, the water situation in Taoyuan was dire, despite the Feitui Reservoir being at full capacity. So back then, in 2006, I gave instructions for the Xindian Banqiao pipeline to be constructed within two years. But the project wasn't completed until Tsai Ing-wen's term, until 2019. That's 13 years. Fortunately, we are administrating the government, and that's why we have been able to finish it. Previously, there were already waterworks connecting Taoyuan and Xinzhou, but they were only able to supply 78,000 tons of water a day. The new pipeline links up Ximen Reservoir with Xinzhou's water supply system, raising the daily total to 200,000 tons of water. The project will ensure a steady water supply in Xinzhou, a crucial requirement for the area's science park. It's not only a forward-looking project, it is a rescue project that comes to the aid of our science park, to the sacred mountain of Taiwan and to others. They can't go without water for a day and they can't go without electricity for a day. What does it mean for something to be forward-looking? This is the best possible testament to the vision of the forward-looking infrastructure program. What does it mean for a government to be competent? Here too is a concrete example of that. Water governance is non-partisan and borderless. Water is a national resource. 
Thank you, President Tsai, Premier Su, for thoroughly displaying the value of the forward-looking infrastructure projects. With this, the goal of sending water from northern Taiwan to the south has finally reached the finish line. The heads of Taoyuan, Shenzhou City and Shenzhou County, as well as several lawmakers from across party lines were present at the event, as officials marked another milestone of the Tsai administration. The thorny issue of constitutional reform was on the agenda for lawmakers on Monday. One focus of the hearing was changing Taiwan's national emblem, which closely resembles the party emblem of the KMT. DPP lawmakers said that if Taiwan hopes to normalize its legal status, it will need to tackle the difficult work of changing its constitution. DPP lawmakers Chen Opo, Cheng Tingfei, Fan Yun and Huang Xiaofang convened a hearing on constitutional amendments on Monday. Experts were invited to explore moves like redefining the country's territorial boundaries. A focal point of the hearing was changing the national emblem. Here's the national emblem and the KMT emblem side by side, looking strikingly similar in color and design. The KMT, whose emblem existed first, is opposed to changing the national emblem, saying it's a veiled declaration of independence. The DPP says it's a way to resolve confusion. People have always foolishly mixed up the national emblem and the party emblem. Everyone has been fooled. Given this state of confusion, we need to start reconsidering the national emblem. Before, we had hoped the KMT would consider changing its own party emblem, but it pushed back at us with a challenge. Change the national emblem if you dare. There was also discussion on changing the anthem, which was once the KMT's party song. But when it comes to amending the constitution, there's an exceptionally high bar. First, one-fourth of lawmakers must sponsor a proposal. Then, three-quarters of lawmakers must participate in a vote on the proposal, which must be passed by three-quarters of the lawmakers present. Finally, the proposal goes to a referendum, where it must receive a yes vote by at least half the electorate. Taiwan's threshold for constitutional amendments is, among democratic countries, among the very highest and the most difficult to clear. It makes it very difficult for a democracy to form a new consensus. Whether it's regarding the national emblem, national anthem, or national flag, we are setting no limits to our topics of exploration. As long as it is what the people want, we'll bravely propose it. Taiwan has been a democracy for more than 30 years, yet it still carries vestiges of authoritarianism, lawmakers said. They said constitutional reform was a must in the pursuit to normalize the country. After 20 years of talks, National Yangming University and National Jiao Tong University have officially merged into one entity called Yangming Jiao Tong University. A plaque unveiling ceremonies were held at both its Taipei and Shinzu campuses on Monday. The first president of the new university is Lin Qi Hong, who's previously served as health director in both Taipei and New Taipei. He's also been a professor at National Yangming University for 23 years. The Taipei ceremony was attended by the former and current Taiwan vice presidents, Chen Jianren and Lai Qingde, as well as notable alumni, including ASA founder Stan Shi. Over in Shinzu, attendees included Shinzu City Mayor Lin Zijian and Shinzu County Commissioner Yang Wenke. Yangming Jiao Tong University boasts a faculty of about 1,400 people, nearly 20,000 students and nine campuses. There are five days to go before the recall election of Kaohsiung City Councillor Huang Jie. DPP lawmakers and councillors rallied behind the council on Monday, helping her canvas in her home district of Fengshan. The DPP accuses the KMT of orchestrating the recall against Huang, who's known for her outspoken criticism of the party's Han Guoyu. Meanwhile, the KMT accuses the DPP of using government resources to sway a recall election. 
DPP elected officials throw their support behind Huang in a video asking Fengshan residents to vote no in Saturday's recall election. In addition, DPP lawmakers and Taiwan State Building Party representatives have campaigned with Huang on the street, reaching out to locals in a personal appeal. This Saturday, please vote against the recall. The KMT is strongly intervening in Huangjie's recall election, even treating it like a way to teach Taiwan a lesson. They're doing what's called sowing division. Meanwhile, on the KMT side, the campaigning is much less visible. But when it is, it treats Huang's recall and U.S. pork as part of the same issue. It's obvious that they're using this recall as a means to promote the Rector Pork referendum campaign. This is what's referred to as a backdoor listing. They're taking the people's right to a recall and using it to promote an unrelated issue. This behavior is what's truly trampling upon Taiwan's democracy. If the DPP turns this recall election into a party showdown, it will have deployed state machinery to strong-arm public opinion. This election will have turned into something that's not about recalling a local representative. One moment Johnny Chang brings up Bracto pork, the next he brings up state machinery. The KMT is the one trying to turn this local issue into a showdown between green and blue. I'm asking you to support Huang Jie. Put a stop to the KMT's inflammatory, chaos-creating campaign of revenge recalls. In order for Huang to be recalled on Saturday, at least a quarter of Fengshan's electorate must vote in favor, which means there must be at least 72,892 yes votes. In addition, the votes in favor must outnumber those against. Immigrants from all over the world come to Taiwan, where they find work, build homes, and contribute to what makes the island so special. Today, in an immigrant story, we meet Alina Hafiatilova, a Russian expat with a rising career as an actress in Taiwan. A young woman explores Dihua Street, stopping here and there to try different food. This is Alina Hafiatilova. She's a Russian actress who's lived in Taiwan for three years. Due to the pandemic, she plans to spend the Lunar New Year holiday in Taiwan. I think this street is so special. There are a lot of food. Um, there are a lot of special food, yeah. Mm, I feel so good. I like it. I think Taiwan is safe now and everyone is wearing masks, uh, yeah and um, use some antibacterial things, yes, like disinfection, like washing your hands, something like that, yeah. And I don't feel like um, now we have some corona in Taiwan. Three years ago, Alina came to Taiwan to study Mandarin Chinese at Chinese Cultural University. At first, she only planned on staying for a short time, but she quickly fell in love with Taiwanese culture and decided to settle in for a long haul. I like Taiwanese food, Taiwanese people, uh, Taiwan scenery, and I love to travel in Taiwan. I like to travel to Kaohsiung, to Kandin. Uh, Kandin is one of my favorite places. Um, and I like to travel to Hualien. I think the ocean is one of the most beautiful in this place. Here in Taiwan, Alina is also developing her career as an actress. She stars in an upcoming TV series about cross-cultural romance. It's called 20 Years Promise, and it's a co-production between Taiwan and Russia. The 13 episodes were filmed in Russia and Kaohsiung. My dream is uh, my mentoring as good as Taiwanese people. Alina says her dream is to bridge the gap between Taiwan and Russia. She's working to master the Chinese language and hopes to use her platform to introduce the beauty of Taiwan to the world. For most of news, Stephanie Yang, Song Hongling in Taipei. Lunar New Year is almost upon us, which means it's the busiest time of year for many retailers. 
For the first time ever, markets selling traditional New Year's food products are banned to prevent the spread of COVID-19. That means it will be Taiwan's first New Year dominated by online retail. What's the best part of Lunar New Year? For us, it's lounging at home eating New Year snacks with the family. But this year, traditional New Year market streets are closed and we're turning to the internet to stock up. Since COVID hit, online retail has exploded and live streamers like these have come into their element. Now that it's the new year, retail platforms and manufacturers will be counting on live stream events for more record profits. Because of the pandemic, everyone knows more and more consumers are turning toward the internet. New Year's products are mostly sold in bulk. Now, that includes, in the last few months, we've seen a change. Many consumers who used to buy products in single bags are now ordering entire boxes wholesale. I think our growth from 2019 to 2020 will be about 70 percent. The suppliers of online retailers are also cashing in. This year, because of the pandemic, many people who would buy New Year's products are turning to the Internet. We need to hire more employees because of that to deal with the change. The lead-up to Lunar New Year is crunch time for retail in Taiwan, and the winners this year will be decided by who can adjust best to the pandemic. In the wake of COVID-19, the latest trend in the service sector is zero contact. That means using tech to reduce the human contact involved in services. Restaurants, government agencies and even sports leagues are all moving towards the zero contact model. Scan a QR code and within five seconds you've got the food in your hands. Owner Zhang Yusheng saw the post-pandemic demand for zero-contact business and teamed up with a tech startup to offer this digital restaurant, the first of its kind. With this project, we're focusing on the transitions of the post-pandemic age as a whole, not just in terms of consumption. So we're working with a tech company to try and grab this opportunity. Zhang owns eight restaurants in the Greater Taipei area. For this digital branch, he brought in special facilities to keep the food hot so that customers can download an app, order, and pick up their food in as little as 30 minutes. Less waiting in lines, less contact with the outside world. Because of the pandemic, lots of restaurants have come up with this idea, actually. We're taking all kinds of models from digital and online retail and bringing them in to collaborate with the food industry in various ways. This automated chat system is aimed at users of digital messaging apps. It offers a simple way to find products that fit your needs. Companies can gather large amounts of data through the system. It's already used by the Central Epidemic Command Center, prestigious companies and even a new Taiwanese basketball league. We pay a lot of attention to the opinions of basketball fans and the public. We need more data. Data will talk to us. In the post-pandemic world, not just tech companies but organizations across the board are looking for ways to make life more convenient and take out the human element. A new series of short videos has brought the mysterious world of East Coast sea life to viewers in Taiwan. What's Up Under the Sea showcases unusual sea creatures' behavior, normally unfolding every day out of sight. The East Coast National Scenic Area Administration hopes it will encourage viewers to cherish ocean life. In their underwater home, a pair of clownfish are busy preparing for the birth of their children. An octopus stretches out its sinewy arms to explore the ocean floor. In an instant, its camouflage reflex can turn it the same colour as the sand. 
Meanwhile, this turtle has tucked himself into a crack in a coral reef and is wriggling around. He's scratching his back. Turtles actually have nerves in their shells, so they can tell when there's algae or other beasties attached to them. Lots of people were quite surprised when they saw this, wondering why turtles behave like this. They actually thought it was interesting and left comments and shared. So we used this series to do a simple bit of science education. In 2016, the administration began surveys and tests on the marine ecology around the east coast and Green Island, with the goal of promoting deep sea tourism. In the last two years, they've collected a lot of precious footage of unusual undersea scenes to produce what's up under the sea. We started back in 2016 wanting to get to know the ecological resources in the sea. They have to go underwater to get the film, so they thought, why not make a special record of these special creatures' behavior that we so rarely get to see? The short videos are packed with surprising and beautiful little details that show just how diverse and exciting sea creatures' lives can be, reminding viewers that all we need to help protect these precious habitats.